Uh, <laughs> hey, good job, choir, band, praise team, singers, Daniel. Yeah, proud of you, son. Yeah. Yeah, in case, yeah, good job. Yeah, in case you didn't know, this, this is my oldest son here. Uh, and uh, thank you for loving on him. He needs it bad. Uh, thank you for loving on his family. And he was, you know, we were talking last night of how blessed he feels like he is to be here and be part of such a wonderful body of believers who love the Lord and, and uh, love each other. And I've got to be with you several times in the past just as a, as a worshiper. And so today I get to share with you from Scripture. I was asked to, to come and share this. And again, it's an honor to do that. But, but a while back when Daniel first came to be among you, I, I was just asking him, kind of quizzing him, well, you know, Daniel, how do they feel about you? Are you okay? Is things well? He said, well, they, they tell me uh, that I have a very warm personality. Well, okay. Well, I got to thinking about that. I looked up that word warm in, in the dictionary, and it says not so hot. Um, I said, well, what else do they tell about you, son? He said, well, they, they tell me I have a real mellow voice, a real mellow voice. Well, I looked that word up mellow, and it means almost rotten. So... I, I really wasn't sure until I came and found out for myself kind of what he got himself into. As a matter of fact, I said, well, gosh, if they think that way about you, what do they think about your pastor? What, what do they say about Ben? I said, man, they love Ben. They think, they think he preaches model sermons. I mean, every Sunday. And I went home and looked that up, model. That's cheap imitation of the real thing. Uh, but, um, I, don't know what I, I don't know what you got me into, Ben. I don't know. As a matter of fact, they, I just want to warn you, I, I've been, I was a youth pastor a long time before I wore other hats, being a pastor, associate pastor and stuff, and every now and that sort of oozes out, so just hang on. If it does, I can't help it. It just comes out. And, and the other thing is that Ben, they gave me Ben's microphone, so I'm using the one he does, so I'm liable to preach for an hour and a half before we all get out of here. <laughs> but anyway, it, it's an honor to be with you and be here at homecoming. And go ahead and put that slide up there about homecoming. I because that's where we're going to camp out. Can you show that slide just a second? You're, there you go. 106 years. That is awesome. That is 106 years. As a matter of fact, G.W. Jameson, he was my pastor when I was in high school. Uh, I grew up in Waynesville, North Carolina, and he was pastor at Barberville Baptist Church. When you were reading that, it's like, oh, yeah. And what, what a great man of God he was. I'm not sure when he served here, uh, but he, he was a great guy there and through all my high school years. But, but an honor. But that 106 years worshiping the Father. And so what we're going to do this morning, we're going to camp out on that one verse uh, that's on your homecoming. I, did, I don't know how many of you have read that, looked at it, thought about it, or if it's totally brand new to you. But we're going to, that whole passage that we come to know as the woman at the well, Jesus says more about worship in that one passage than he does anywhere else. And matter of fact, in that one verse. But that's where we're going to camp out. So if you would... Will you stand to your feet and let's just read this, let's just read this scripture together. I know you've been up a while and this will be the last time we'll have you stand up, but just let's, let's read this together because this is what we're going to talk about, okay? Let's read it together. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Let me pray. Holy Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. We thank you that you're here. We sense your presence. Through our worship, you, you just showed up on us. And I ask you to just show up on us in a special way as we open up your word this morning. Holy Spirit, give us a spirit of revelation, a spirit of a truth, and a spirit of understanding that we might glean from this passage what you want us to, that it might do your work in us and encourage us to be the worshipers that you have called us to be. May you have your way this morning in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
A.W. Tozer, some of you may know of him, have heard of him, but he was a great Bible teacher and theologian, and he said, he wrote a book about worship, and he called it The Purpose of Man. He said, worship is the purpose of man. In other words, worship is the activity of the human soul. Well, what in the world does that mean? Well, here's what it means very simply, is that everybody worships. Everybody worships. Worship is not just what Christians do. Worship is not just what Muslims do or Hindus do or Baptists do or Methodists do or Pentecostals do or Presbyterians do or non-denominationals. Worship is the activity of the human soul. Everybody worships. As a matter of fact, there is great worship, incredible worship going on all around us while we are in here in this building of worship today. Lots of worship, and it's not even in church, and it's not even about God, but it's about worship. Because worship is the activity of the human soul, and that's what I want you to understand. And, and, and the definition of worship is huge. Uh, we can't define all of it, but we want to get you started on that today. But that's what you and I were created to do. Everybody worships. Everybody worships. Somebody or something. So the question is not, do you worship? The question is, what do you worship? Or who do you worship? As a matter of fact, let's play, do a little humor me just a little bit. I'm gonna, I want you to close your eyes. I'm going to give you a word, and I want you to pull up the first thing that comes to your mind, okay? Just close your eyes. I promise you won't leave. I've always wanted to call people into prayer and have them close their eyes and walk out and just see how long they would sit there. <laughs> but I won't do that today. I promise you I won't, okay? So close your eyes. Here's the word I'm going to give you. Car. Car. All right, share with your neighbor what came to mind. What kind of car? Toyota. Okay. My mind went back to an old uh, Mercury Capri that I used to drive around when my wife and I dated. Yeah. Okay, close your eyes again. Okay. Food. All right, now share that with your neighbor. How many, how many of you saw chicken? Yeah, that's some good Baptist right there. Yeah, okay. I mean, being homecoming, we've got to think about that. I close your eyes, let's do another one. How about sports? <laughs> All right, different things come up, yeah, with football season going on, some other stuff, maybe hunting, fishing, basketball, volleyball, yeah. All right, let's do another one. You ready? Worship. All right, open your eyes. What did you see? Singing? See some of these things that I put up here on singing? You saw music, choir, praise bands, dancing, lifting hands, prayers, hymns, words of praise, preaching, word of God, right? Maybe if, if you are if you know the words of worship in the in the Bible, the Greek word proskuneo, it, it was actually a picture of kiss, a kiss. We get an opportunity to kiss God when we worship. Actually, you trace the etymology of that Greek word back to its original meaning, and it was used to describe what a, a dog would do, come up and lick the hand of his master. Or shakai is the Hebrew word, just a, a bowing down. I don't, I don't know what you saw, but that's the outward form of worship. That's how worship manifests itself through those things, singing and music and choir and prayer, all those things. But what I want to talk to you about today very briefly is this. What is the heart of worship? Those are all the outward manifestations of worship, but where does it begin? Where is the true heart of worship? And that's why I want to go back to that scripture. So if you have it, 
in John 4 and verse 23. And out of that, I want to pull out three or four words that we want to build this understanding and hopefully we can challenge you in your worship today and how you worship. All right, here's the first one. Look at it in verse 23. Jesus said this. He was talking to the woman there about worship. And he says, But the hour is coming, and now is when the... What does it say? True worshipers will what? Will worship. Now here's the thing. If there's true worshipers, then there must be, then there must be false worshipers. True worshipers. See, worship is the activity of the human soul. Everybody worships. You may not worship God. People you know may not worship God, but they will worship something or they will worship somebody. You say, well, well how do I know? How do I know, Danny? How can I tell? Well, here's what it is. At its very simplest form, worship is about value. Worship is what we value most. At the very heart of worship and understanding it, it's about what we value most. As a matter of fact, the word worship that we get in our English, worship comes from the joining of two words, worth-ship of a certain thing. And so that worship is about worth, it's about value. We're saying that, that that thing is so important to me, it's so valuable to me that I choose to worship that thing, that person, that event, that God, whatever. Whatever it may be, worship is about value. And it's a very simplest form. So what I want to do very quickly, I want to show you a little video clip. It was actually from an interview that was done back in 1993. Um, some of you weren't even alive back then. Uh, and I could have chosen anything. I could have chosen any kind of sporting event, uh, football, basketball, baseball, NASCAR, concerts, whatever. But this is a clip from that interview, uh, and it shows one of the most powerful pictures of worship that you'll ever see in your lifetime. And it doesn't even take place in a church, and it doesn't even take place related to our Lord Jesus Christ. But it is an incredible powerful picture of worship. So watch it. It's about a I saw almost every biblical form that's listed in the Old Testament. 
demonstrated in that short clip. There are 10 major words, 10 major worship words and actions that go with it, and I saw six of them in that little clip. Almost every form of biblical worship in that. And I am moved every time I watch that clip. And here's why. Because there is more adoration. There is more excitement. There is more energy. There is more devotion. There is more commitment. There is more biblical worship. There is more worship to a false God than most of us and most believers give the one true living God. And that should not be. And I am convicted in my spirit of me every time I see that. You know, in that video, nobody looks bored. Nobody's passing notes. Nobody's on their cell phone. Well, they didn't have cell phones back then. <laughs> but nobody's, nobody looks bored. Did you see that? Yet in so many churches that I have been in, that's what I see. But true worshipers will worship the Father. But nobody looks bored. And it lets me know that a lot of times when we come to church, when we come together to worship, it lets me know that we have never connected to the object of our worship, to the audience of our worship, which leads me to the second word. So go back into the Scripture. Jesus says, But the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship. And like on your homecoming banner says, we'll worship what? Or who? The Father. We'll worship the Father. And when we don't, when we don't give Him the adoration, the excitement, and the energy of worship, it just lets me know we've never clued in to who is the object of our worship. Who, where is the focus? Who is the audience of our worship? And it's the Father. It is God. Let me, let me see if I can demonstrate this a minute. I told you I was a youth pastor, so let me try to illustrate this. I need a victim. I mean a volunteer. Um, Eric, why don't you help me back? What I, want you, what I want you to do, I want you to take this air, and I don't throw it. I just want you to take it and just put it in the bullseye. Just take it and put it right in the center of the target, and then I'll make my point and we'll move on. Okay? Just take it and just poke it right in there. Right, just, what's the matter? Right, just right, right in it? No? What? Oh, oh, sorry. Here, let me, maybe I'll sit back down. Make him go in the back of the line when we go eat. <laughs> you know, it's impossible to hit the bullseye if you have no idea where the target is, is it? Right? And in the same sense, it's impossible to be a true worshiper of God the Father if you never tune in to the object of your worship, the audience of your worship. And who your worship was intended for. We get an opportunity to be like this arrow, to shoot an arrow of affection straight into the heart of God. But we come in and sometimes we don't even know where that is. We never tune in. And what I've found is that, and I've been there, many people come into church clueless of who they're worshiping. They never see the target of their worship. They come in and they see everybody else, but they never see. They're busy passing notes, talking, thinking about other stuff, and they never clue in. As a matter of fact, it doesn't matter who you see when you come to church, who else you see when you come to church. If you don't see God, you've missed the point. Wow. 
It doesn't matter who else you hear when you come to worship. If you don't hear from Him, you've missed the reason for gathering. Now, yes, we, we encourage one another by our presence and by our words, but He's the main one we need to see, and He's the main one we need to hear from. And we need to come in looking for Him. We need to come expecting to hear from Him. Sometimes we come in and we don't hear Him and see Him because, well, to be honest, we're, we're picky. We're picky. Oh, I don't, li- I don't like those hymns. I don't like singing out of the hymn book. I don't like them old hymns. Oh, I don't like those old praise choruses. I don't like that stuff. Oh, I don't like praise band. I'd rather have organ and piano and choir rooms rather than a praise band. Oh, I'd rather have... Undoubtedly, somebody's going to come in and say, I don't, I don't like you put chairs in here. I'd rather have the pews in here. Picky, picky, picky. Picky. Someday somebody's going to come in here and say, man, I don't like that old singer has got that long beard in there. I just don't know. <laughs> he needs to shave that thing off. Okay. Picky. What did Jesus say? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be what? They shall be filled. Do you think a hungry person checks and looks at the china to see if it's chipped before they eat off of it? No, come hungry. Come hungry to encounter the living God. Come hungry to worship Him. Come hungry to, to, to tune in and focus in on the audience, the object of your worship. If you come looking for Him, you may just find Him. He's not playing cosmic hide-and-go-seek with you. He wants you to be found. He wants to be found. So come in, looking, and know where the object of your worship is, the audience. Who's the audience? It's not your neighbor. It's God. So when you come in and you look, then you get an opportunity to shoot an air of affection. Can you, can you, can you try it? We'll give you one more shot. Just come right up. Yeah. You need to get really close. Get that way. There you go. There we go. Good job. Now, how easy was that? Give him a hand. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Okay. It's no problem shooting an air of affection into the very heart of God when you come looking for him. Oh, by the way, I'll, I'll show you far so you can... Okay, sorry. They told me not to worry. They'd be right behind me, and that really bothered me. So uh, anyway, so come looking for him. Come hungry for him. Come searching for him. Come thirsty for him. And I promise you, he won't disappoint you. Those who hunger and thirst will be filled. So come seeking him. Which leads me to the other word. And there's a lot here, and, and we're not going to have time to unpack all this part of it. But not only is it about true worshipers who worship the Father, not other things, because it's about value. It's about what we value most. And it's about tuning in when we come together to the audience, the object of our worship, the focus of our worship. But Jesus says something real important, and I just want to touch the surface on it. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Will worship Him in spirit and in truth. You see, there's a tripartness to man. We are body, and we're soul, and we're spirit. Body, 
Paul talks about with the sarks, that's our physical makeup. Soul suke, that's the mind, the will, the emotions. And then there's the spirit, the pneuma. And that pneuma, that spirit, that's the part that's regenerated. That's the part that's born again. That's the part that's birthed from above that enables us to communicate and worship God the way we should. And it's easy to get our physical part engaged. We're clapping, we're raising hands, we're doing that sort of thing. And it's easy to, to get our mind and will and emotions involved in it, which there's nothing wrong with that. But it's the spirit is where we communicate and worship the Father. And again, there's a whole lot more teaching on that. But what I want you to get out of this, when we worship Him in spirit and in truth, what does that mean? Among other things, that means when we come in and we are able to focus in on our audience of our worship, and we've tuned into God, just like Eric tuned into the target and shot the Arab affection into the heart of God, then it gives meaning to what we say and what we sing and what we pray. Now listen, be sure you're listening. It amazes me about myself many times is that sometimes how on Sunday we get up, we put our best clothes on that we have, we come to church together, and right out loud and in public, we stand together and lie to God. Wherever He leads, I'll go. God's going, really? Did you really mean that? Really? I surrender all. I surrender. Really? Maybe we should sing, I surrender, I surrender some. I surrender some. Jesus, I will give you little. I surrender some. Maybe that would be more honest worship. God, I want to surrender all, but I'm just not there yet. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, that we, we grab our families together and, and, and come and, and say, you know, come on, honey, let's, let's take the kids to church and go lie to God today. That's not what I'm talking about. We don't do it because we have necessarily we have lying hearts, but we do it because we never focus in on the audience of our worship. Because if we did, we couldn't say and sing some of the things that we do. And there are many times when, in, when we're singing in worship and song service, there's lyrics up on the screen. We're doing, all I can do is sit down and put my hands in my face and, oh, God, have mercy on me. I am not there today. And would that really be a more honest worship than just kind of singing through the motions and just singing it because it's the song? We must worship in spirit and truth. And when we do that, this is what I want you to get out of that part, is that it gives meaning to what we say and what we sing. A minute ago you were singing, Honey in the Rock. I keep praying, you keep moving. I keep praising, you keep proving. All I have all that I need. You are all that I need. Do you mean that when you sang that? Or were you just singing the song? Lord, you're all that I need. You have all that I need. Well, if he is, why do we fight and wrestle with so much other stuff that we think we need? Don't we? Amen or oh me? There's a song we used to sing called More Precious Than Silver. I don't know. Lord, you are more precious than silver. 
Lord, you are more costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds. Out of the Psalms. And nothing I desire compares with you. There are times that I can't sing that, not in spirit and truth. Because there are times that I desire other things other than God. And maybe a more honest thing of worship would be, Lord, I just can't sing that today. I want to. Convict me. Bring me to that point, Holy Spirit, that I can actually sing that. So when you come to worship, to worship the Father, true worshipers will worship the Father. And so when you come, come looking for Him, come seeking Him, come to encounter Him, focus in on the object, the audience of your worship, and when you do, you'll be able to worship in spirit and in truth. And it will give meaning to what you say and sing. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. And then on in verse 24, it says, God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. If you're not on that journey, get on that journey. Worship Him in spirit. And if you're, you are not alive in the spirit, if you've never been born again and have a relationship with God through Jesus, Get on that journey. And if you are, get on the journey to be filled with the Spirit so that you can really be a true worshiper of the Father because you must worship Him in spirit and truth. And maybe, just maybe, the reason when we don't worship Him in spirit and truth, that's the reason in so many churches we have songs but no worship. We have prayer but no power. We have preaching but no transformation. We have church but we have no impact on the community. So glad to hear the the report, you know, how the church has impacted this community, which is a sign of what I'm talking about. Keep that up. Guard that. Maybe it's the reason we have groups, but we have no true koinonia. So worship Him in spirit and truth. But look at the verse again. But the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And this next phrase that Jesus spoke just absolutely blows me away. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. That blows me away every time I read it. God doesn't need my worship, but He desires my worship. Because really, the psalmist said in 115 in another message another day, you become what you worship. And so that's why worship matters. That's why He wants us to worship Him. Because when you go after other things and other things are more valuable, you become like them. And that's why He desires our worship. You say, oh, that's what I do. I mean, God gets my worship. I'm, I'm going to worship Him. Okay, as we get ready to, to wrap it up here. We're going to give it a test. Can we give it a test? It's me, Jess. Help me out. Thank you. Okay. All right. And it's going to be about five words. And here are the five words. Time, energy, affection, allegiance, and stuff, or your belongings. Okay? And what I want you to do 
I want you to take that time. You think about your time, and I want you to follow the trail of your time. Follow the trail of your time, and you follow the trail of how you spend your time, and do that, and it will lead you to a throne. And whoever or whatever is sitting on that throne, that's who you worship. Now follow the trail because the trail doesn't lie. Take your energy, what you spend your energy doing, and follow the trail of your energy. And it'll take you to a throne. And whoever and whatever sitting on that throne is what you worship. What about your affection? What has your heart's affection? Follow your heart's affection to a throne. Follow the trail. Follow the trail of it because it will lead you to a throne. And whoever and whatever sitting on the throne of your affection, that's who or what you worship. What about your allegiance? That's that stuff you will not budge for. That's the hill you'll die on right there. Follow the trail of your allegiance. It'll lead you to a throne. And whoever or whatever sitting on that throne, that's who you, or what you truly worship. What about your stuff? Not just your money, but your possessions, your stuff. Things that you have on earth. Follow the trail. It'll lead you to a throne, and whoever and whatever sitting on that throne, that's what you worship. That's the test. That's the exam that we all need to take because your worship and my worship is up for grabs every day. Every day. Every day. But follow the trail. And you know what I find sitting on the throne most all the time? Me. Me. May I tell you that the Holy Spirit of the living God will not share your life with you? See, a lot of times we like to, we kind of like to double cheek it for the Holy Spirit. But may I tell you, He, he does not want to share your life with you. When He comes in, He comes to take over. And you get on a journey of true worship and true worship and spirit of truth. It's about surrender. It's about dying to self. And I did not realize until the Spirit of God brought me on that journey how much of Danny I had to die to. Every day. And my prayer has been for several years, Lord, decrease Danny till there's no Danny left, only you. You realize how, I didn't realize how painful some of that is. <laughs> but it's been worth the journey. It's been a great journey that I become less, that he becomes more. Decrease Danny till there's no Danny left. Only you. Well, I've thrown some thoughts out there for you to think about. And if the only thing I've done today is to just get you to think about your act of worship, then that's what I meant to do. That you leave this place and begin and continue to examine your heart of worship. Because the heart of worship is really about the heart. It's about the heart. Let me share it this way. Say I bring my wife some flowers. Okay? Bring her some beautiful hot flowers. You know, you try to get the right colors, the right thing that fits in the kitchen or, the, or wherever you're, you're bringing flowers. You, you know the drill, okay? And say I bring them to the house and I, and I give them to her and, and she sees me bringing them in and I give them to her and she is just blown away. 
I mean, just absolutely blown away. She goes, oh, that is so special. You were thinking of me. I am so surprised, which she probably would be if I brought her son to the house. <clears throat> but, uh, no, actually, true story, true story. I, I, I said, I'm not going to give my, flat, my wife flowers on Valentine's Day. I'm not going to let the world tell me how I'm supposed to love my life, wife and when I'm supposed to love her. So how many years ago has it been? Ten years ago now, maybe? Twelve, more than that? Because God convicted me. He said, you're, you're bringing her stuff based on what you think is important. But she likes flowers. So the last 10 or 12 years, she's a preschool teacher. I take her, I take her one rose every Monday. I've missed a few times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry, guys. I just put you on the spot really bad. Okay. It only took me 30-some years to figure that out. Okay. Uh, but, uh, yeah, she, she likes flowers. So. I, and I take her one rose because she's my one and only forever and always. So, uh, anyway, uh, sorry. I had, to, I had to get that in. If you don't, you know. but so, so I bring her flowers, and, and, and she looks really surprised. And says, oh, that you were thinking of me. That's so special. And what if I say to her, well, you know, actually, I'm your husband. I'm, that's my duty. I'm supposed to do that. Okay. Or actually, I said, you know, they're really on sale. They didn't hardly cost me anything. They were, I, wasn't, I actually wasn't even thinking of you. They were on sale. They were about to throw them out, and I just thought they might look nice on the table, you know? I mean, there's really, really no hassle. They were really, really cheap, not a big deal. Does she even want the flowers now? Why not? Because if she don't have my heart, the flowers don't mean I wonder if God many times sometimes feels the same way about us when we come to gatherings like this and other places and we come to worship and we just kind of go through the motions and not worship Him in spirit and truth and not even think about what we're saying or singing. Does He go, wow? Yeah, He does. Because Jesus, in Mark 7, He said it also in Matthew, but He's quoting Isaiah. Look at this, look at this scripture, Mark chapter 7. Do you have that scripture? There you go. Jesus replied, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and their worship is a farce. If God doesn't have your heart, your mind's attention and your heart's affection focused on him, praising him for who he is and what he does, if we haven't reached that point, then our worship is a farce before him because he wants our heart. It's all about the heart of worship. It's about the heart of worship. So here's the challenge. Let me give you a couple of challenges. And I've already mentioned it before, but let me, let me challenge you. When you come together for corporate worship, come looking for him. Or even when you get up every day, go looking for God. Go looking for him everywhere. You'll be amazed at where you will encounter him and experience him. And it'll be places and ways you never even dreamed of. But he will reveal himself to you. And your response to when he reveals himself to you, that is worship. It's a response. And so go looking for him. Go seeking him. Go looking and expecting to encounter the living God. The Bible says this in Hebrews eleven six. 6. It says, without faith... It's impossible to please Him. You know what that means? That means with faith, it's possible to please God. Isn't it? 
with faith it's possible to please him, but without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What's the reward for a pearl, dri- pearl diver who is earnestly seeking pearls? Pearls. What's the reward for a miner who is earnestly seeking diamonds? Oh, this is a smart, smart crew, Ben, okay? What's the reward for a pers- prospector who is panning for gold? What's the reward of the person who is out trying to catch a fish? Yeah, what's the reward of a, of a person who's out trying to, to, uh, to bag that big trophy buck? What's the reward for a person who is earnestly seeking God? God. It's God. It's himself. Here's the question. What if the only thing you get out of life is God? Would he be enough? If the only thing you get out of this life is Jesus, would he be enough? You're not going to say anything because we talked about true worship. (laughs) And sometimes I have to say, I am not there, but I want to be. I really, truly want to be that kind of person. So there's the challenge. Another challenge is this. Dan, you guys can come on up if you want to and get ready. Don't go to church to worship. Okay? You probably never ever heard a preacher say that before. Don't go to church to worship. You're hearing one say it now. Don't go to church to worship, but do what? Go worshiping the church or come worshiping the church. In other words, come out of Monday of worship and a Tuesday of worship and a Wednesday of worship and a Thursday and Friday and Saturday of worship into a corporate setting of worship. I promise you, your celebration will be greater. And if what you do tomorrow is not seeking after him, then what you did today was really not worship. Is it? Come worshiping the church. Don't just come to church to worship, but come worshiping the church out of a whole week of worship. Maybe that's you. Challenge some of you. Other ones. Look, look at this Tozer quote, if you want to put that up there. A.W. Tozer in his book about worship, the purpose of God, said this. He said, I can offer no worship holy, pleasing to God, if I know that I am harboring elements in my life that are displeasing to Him. Is that you today? Do you have some things in your life today that you need to deal with? Maybe you're a believer, you're saved, but there's just some unconfessed sin in your life. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That verse is written to believers. The word confess is a Greek word, omlegeo, which means to say the same thing. To say the same thing. To agree with God. And maybe there's some things in your life that you need to come and agree with God about today. Confess those before Him and agree with Him about those so that you can really offer Him your true worship. Or maybe some of you today, you haven't ever begun that relationship. Jesus said this, or or Paul said in, in Colossians, chapter 1, verse 16, 
For by him, we know that him is Jesus. For by him, for by Jesus, all things were created. They're in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Now watch this. All things were created by him and for him. Do you know that verse? Yeah. All things were created by him and for him. You were created for a relationship with Almighty God. And the only way you can have that is when you say yes to His Son, Jesus. Because that's why Jesus came. The Bible says Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God. That's why He came. And so maybe that's you today. Jesus wants to bring you to the Father so that you can begin that relationship with Him and so that you can truly be a true worshiper. Whatever your need is today, however the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and, and talked with you, I just as, as the band sings, as the choir sings, you just respond as He has spoken to you. Ben will be here. Uh, Chase will be here. Uh, if you need to see them, have them pray with you, whatever, you just want to simply come and kneel before a holy God and deal with Him. Whatever it is, you respond as he calls you and leads you to do that. Will you stand?